Hello, welcome to the Eagle Tales podcast, a new podcast from the Central High School Foundation, keeping you connected to the nest through storytelling and original interviews. I'm Josh Busey, your host for today's episode. Before we get started, though, a little bit about the foundation. We were established in 1996 to support present and future Central students. And today, we are even more committed to preserving the values of a Central High School education. The foundation supports the school through many activities, like building relationships with alumni, fundraising, student scholarships, teacher classroom grants, and so much more. And we want to work with you. We are so proud of the accomplishments that our students, staff, and 35,000 alumni achieve every day. Your patronage not only supports Central, but it also strengthens Eagle Nation. Visit our website to learn more at chsfomaha.org. It gives me great pleasure to introduce our guest for episode four of Eagle Tales. Ryan Ellis, who was a 1997 alumnus of Central, will be joining us momentarily to talk about some of his upcoming projects and favorite Central memories. Ryan is the CEO of PJ Morgan Real Estate and has been recognized for awards, including one of the 10 Outstanding Young Omahans by the Omaha JCs and the recipient of Midland's Business Journal 40 Under 40 Award. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Josh. Um, I love everything relative to Central, so I was super excited to be asked to be here. I always like to start out our Eagle Tail shows with a little background about yourself. So if you could... Um, maybe introduce yourself to our listeners today. Sure. Um, typically, in the shortened version of telling people about myself, I'll say I'm from Omaha, raised in Omaha. Sometimes I just say born. But uh, I was born in Arizona. My dad was my dad was a West Point grad, so he traveled around for five years doing military service. And I was born during that in Arizona. We came to Omaha so my dad could go to law school at Creighton, and uh, we lived in an apartment in Ralston, and his at least from what I remember, early days of Omaha and eventually landed in Dundee. So my kindergarten career started, <laughs> school career started in Ralston, but then we came to um, Dundee, landed there and got into the OPS school system. So I grew up in Dundee, went to Dundee Elementary, then went to Lewis and Clark, and then eventually to Central. Really glad that course happened. Not to dog on any of the other school districts, I just had such a great OPS experience. In fact, when I was in kindergarten to my first grade class, like I was behind and reading behind and stuff. And that carried with me to second, third grade. So I was bonded with teachers a little bit more. They would try sure. to catch me up a little faster in certain course subjects. And then that carried through into central, the experiences with the, the high school teachers. They were just so easy to bond with and helpful. And it was an incredible experience. As a 1997 graduate of Central, what were some of your favorite Central memories? And what do you remember about when you attended Central? Yeah, it's been a minute, but <laughs> um, I guess to follow up on that with the teachers, like they were just a phenomenal part of the experience. In particular, I always really liked the English and literature courses. Terry Saunders, my sophomore year, she was an incredible lady and teacher and I think she helped us start. I tried, I cannot for the life of me remember what it was. I should have asked some friends, but she helped us start a like a book club, a literary guild, I think is what we titled it. So she gave her time after school and just a group of us would get together and she led that. And, uh, you know, she didn't have to give her time to our small little group to do that, but it was phenomenal. And that 
even um, Dan Daly. I mean, I say his name to people around town and they just glow with excitement. I had a coffee with a lady the other day and she had a a sweatshirt that said McAllister College. And I asked her about how she knew that. And she told me her family story of relative to it. And then she asked me how I knew of it. And I had told her, well, I applied there, but got waitlisted and (laughs) told Dan Daly. And he was like, what? We'll handle that. And he went to his (laughs) office, took a note, came back in the room, taught the class. And then two days later, I got a letter from them accepting me. It was like, how did you do this, man? What did you do? He was just such an influential and incredible teacher. So it was such a gift. And Jack Blanky, who did AP history, like, man, we were so lucky to get to work with those teachers. Some central legends for sure. Yeah, they they totally were. So you graduated from central and then what? led you on your next career path or what was your next move after you graduated from high school? I, uh, I applied to several schools, McAllister's Skidmore in New York. Um, so I got into both of those and then I applied to Creighton and got in there and I feel like maybe there's one other option, but, uh, right after I graduated high school, literally like within a day after my graduation party, my parents decided to divorce, which was a kind of traumatic thing at the time. Looking back on it now, it was like, oh, that was a good growth path for all of us, but harder to accept when you're in high school or just leaving and trying to chart out your course. So it became an economic challenge and probably personal challenge to leave Omaha and go to those other places. So Creighton was my one of my schools. So I ended up going to Creighton. I would go to class at Creighton and people ask about you, what, where'd you come from? What'd you do? And I would point across the freeway and be like, well, I went to school right there. So like literally across the street to go to school. But at the end of the day, that was probably a great gift for me. I still had resources from the school to rely on post-graduation. It wasn't like it just went away. And that close proximity was probably a good safety net for me at a time when there was a lot of other tumultuous times in my life. I uh, went to Creighton University, did not go to Central, but went to Creighton. And so I always like to tell people, didn't go to Central, but I was right next door to it for four years. (laughs) So that counts for something, right? Yeah, it totally does. What did you study when you were at Creighton? What was your major? Yeah, I started out, gosh, it was a a leadership degree. I forget what it was actually called. It was something leadership in the title. And then they sat us down one day kind of early on and said, yeah, we're done with that. Um, we're not going to offer it anymore. <laughs> so that was sort of a disappointment. They offered um, an entrepreneurial program for a select group of students, and I didn't make the cut, which was interesting. Uh, so Poor I, decision by <laughs> them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I might still hold a grudge about that. Um, <laughs> so they said your other options were, you know, your traditional business school classes or courses. I uh, ended up picking finance and was really lucky to have a professor, Randy Jorgensen, who he knew I wanted to do something that wasn't really achievable through what they had to offer. So he kind of held my hand through a couple of years of college and said, here's how we can align some of these classes with your goals and do some extra things. So how did you end up falling in the real estate market, I guess? What sparked your interest in that? Yeah, so I was always, always interested in real estate. As a kid um, growing up in Dundee, you know, I would love the older houses. I would bug my parents to take me to open houses. They're probably like, what is wrong with you? But I would make them take me. We would drive around downtown and I would always have probably more questions than they cared for about old buildings or new construction. So it was always a passion. And even in high school, when we would work on a project, I would find a way to 
you know, incorporate real estate from time to time. And so people would, you know, I remember teachers telling me to pursue that passion. <laughs> I remember Dee Kavark, she was um, a trig and calc teacher. And she <laughs> pulled me aside and said, listen, with what you want to do, you don't need probably as much math, at least this kind <laughs> of math. And you're not as good at math. So just maybe you should just not do as much math, <laughs> which was great advice. I mean, you know, it wasn't, she was really helpful. I will never forget being so thankful to her to be like, this is not a strength for you. Focus on your strengths. So you love real estate. There's things you can do without as much math in it. And other people in that industry will supplement what you want to do. So, so when I went to Creighton, again, there wasn't a lot to do with real estate. Um, I was able to get a few independent study courses aligned towards real estate. And what they eventually did was hook me up with an internship with PJ Morgan Real Estate. It took kind of a, a path to get there. It was calling on a few people and knocking on a few random doors, but eventually they got me that connection. And that was, that was kind of my pathway in. I want to get to your current employer in just a minute. I'm curious though, were there any, or what were some of the architectural things around the city at that time when you were in college and high school that were inspiring or I guess areas of the city or what, what were you looking at that inspired you at that time? Yeah, I think, um, you know, growing up in Dundee and going to school downtown, I think the downtown school environment it influenced me a lot, you know, looking out the windows, seeing downtown happening. And if you go back to that point in history, there was just a lot being invested in downtown all the way from, you know, the way we go to the airport now we take for granted, but back then there was, you know, there were scrap yards and it was kind sure. of a, a gritty path between downtown and the airport. And then First National, they were investing in their tower downtown. The convention center was being thought up in the riverfront. The start of a riverfront project was all happening. So all these I forget the number, but it was, you know, a mind-blowing number for amount of money was being invested in downtown. So I always really just gravitated towards the area in general. I don't know that I could say a specific building or, or project at the time. It was just kind of the overall energy. And you mentioned you're currently working for PJ Morgan Real Estate. Maybe tell us a little bit about how long you've been working there and what are some of the positions or roles that you've had with the company? So I started there while I was at Creighton. I uh, interned and it was probably between my, between my sophomore and junior year, I got an internship there and worked full-time during the summer. And then as school started up again, it was kind of a sidetrack, but um, I felt like Central really prepared me beyond expectation for going to college. And even up through <laughs> even higher end coursework at, at some of the stuff at Creighton, um, I felt like, I've covered some of this or I feel already prepared for this. So, um, so I worked 35, 40 hours a week during my junior year. And then my senior year, I did the same again. So it was kind of, once I got that internship, I just worked full time and I was ready to plow through my coursework to get there, to get to the end. So you were, really. you were almost working full time hours while you were at Creighton. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Wow. And I just had that, that, passion for what I wanted to do. It was right there for me. So I just poured everything into it. I convinced them to stick, keep, keep me around as an intern. They used to joke that before me, the intern that um, they had, the most value that he added was that he brought a grill to 
work on his last day of work and grilled hot dogs and hamburgers for everybody. And they're like, that was the best day ever. <laughs> so, uh, so the bar was low for me, but they were also skeptical, but, um, I just kept kind of pushing and pushing and pushing and did whatever, like whatever needed to get done that day. So as I graduated college, a lady who used to work there, she just didn't come back to work. We never heard from her again. So she um, had a position in property management. We were a much smaller company back then. And uh, there were only two property managers. So without her, they needed someone and I wanted work. So they hired me to do that. And um, I worked in property management for at least five or seven years full time, I feel like. During that time, I was building up the business with PJ. We brought in single family homes and homeowner associations, which are things that back then not a lot of people managed. Today, we manage like 400 of them at 400 houses, 90 some homeowner associations. So we have a team of 20 some property managers, an accounting team of five or six, and then a maintenance team. So it really grew into something, um, which was really fun to get to, to do. As that grew, I got into sales. I got into a leadership position in the company. In 2008, I became president of the company, which uh, if you look at the economic cycle of things, 08 was a- It's very challenging time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, is this, do they want me to leave? <laughs> um, so we, uh, so I dug in and just kind of figured it out. Um, you know, I had great people to work with at the time too, though. So it wasn't like I was alone, but we um, charted a course for growth every quarter. We had a few blips here and there, but we were always hiring and just kept growing and growing, which was a fun thing to be able to do. It was not without its challenges, but really fun. So continued that course. And then I'd say about seven years ago, um, we looked at that, that property management business I mentioned to you of single family houses and homeowner associations and surveyed our customers. And they really looked at us like, gosh, we know you as a commercial real estate firm and a property management firm, but we don't see you as a group that actually sells houses, which was just a missed opportunity, it felt like. So we brought on um, a colleague of mine, Susan Clark. She came in and we built a residential division. And we thought what we would be doing is just adding some agents here and there. And what ended up happening is we stepped back and revisited the culture of the company, kind of what we wanted our impact to be in the community and ended up sort of tearing everything apart and rebuilding it. Our team actually shrunk during that period, a year, two-year period of doing that. And then as we came out of that, you know, we went from, uh, <laughs> we probably got down to less than 10 real estate agents. Today, we're 50 to 60, which is a great growth path for us. Um, some of the firms in town are huge, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. We're a little smaller, more boutique-like company, but we have a great group of people that we've built that with intentionally kind of smaller and um, kind of a family environment. And we really love it. It's really important that people fit our core values and our culture, which involves, you know, building a community that we're really proud of. So that's been our mission and our path. And about a year ago, Susan Clark and I, who Susan, who I mentioned, built that residential division. She and I purchased the company. So um, we're a little over a year in on ownership. Congratulations on that. Thank you very much. <laughs> So we we took the last year uh, working with PJ and just recently Susan took my old former role as president <laughs> of the company and I took on the role of CEO of the company. What are some things that you've learned on the job? I mean, I imagine there's things that have popped up that you're like, I have no idea how to do this. And you just had to to pick it up. Like, what are some things you feel like you've learned, I guess, since you started at PJ Morgan? Yeah. Uh, gosh, 
it's all the time. Um, there's something changed. That's one of our our core values is welcome and lead change. That's the first one that we we talk about. And I think just working with people is something, you know, you can't learn that in a class per se. I mean, you can do group projects together and you can try to work in a simulated environment together, but really working through the challenges of helping people or dealing with people, frankly, too, you know, like that's probably something you're always learning on and working on. Well, yeah, I'd imagine there's quite a, a customer service aspect to what what you guys have to do. Yeah, yeah, there's there's high pressure with emotion and money and, you know, trying to do the right thing. It's funny, if you take an ethics class, sometimes I always felt like, well, I'm an ethical person and you sit through them and you're like, yeah, yeah. And then you get into the situation and you're like, ooh, it's not always about your own ethics. It's it's sometimes mm. like in our role in real estate, we're the, the middle party and it's about conflicting ethics on the other sides of a table. How do I, how do I navigate this and still sleep at night? So those are the, those yeah. are the trying yeah. times. Yeah. One of your current projects that you're working on now is the Millwork Commons District, which is actually where the Central High School Foundation resides in the Mastercraft building. Talk to us a little bit about that project overall, maybe how it got started, where we're at now, where you see it going in the future. Yeah, for sure. I'm super proud that the foundation office is here. It's really... And we love it here. I mean, it's been a fantastic (laughs) home for us. We couldn't be happier. I'm so glad to hear that because it's uh, a moment of pride to see you guys here. And ironically, I know that I had showed the foundation, the Mastercraft building as an option in the past, and it just wasn't the right fit which I guess could kind of back into this project and how it came to be. So the Mastercraft building, it's a furniture factory built in 1941. For people who don't know, it's known for incredible natural daylight and um, it's got industrial character, lots of charm, some modern amenities splashed into that. The project started um, a guy named Rob, Bob, Robert, Bob Grinnell. (laughs) I was calling Bob. I don't know why I said Robert. He, um, he bought the building and had this vision, he probably bought the building in 2007-ish. He had a vision for what it is today, a place for creatives, office spaces, artists. Back then, you know, there was no ballpark nearby. Downtown was still kind of, all those investments I talked about earlier had been made, but this part of downtown, North downtown, was still kind of a no man's land. So he bought the building a lot. There were a ton of naysayers. And then we go into 08, 09 when the economy is really hard. He hired me on to help him lease out the building in that time. So um, new president of a company, get this giant building that's totally empty and the economy is tanking. <laughs> what do we do? But we just, we took a, if you build it, they will come approach. We we felt like the model needed to be built to show people affordable space that's cool, no frills. Uh, we kind of took the old model of buying a Saturn car, like the price is the price and okay. we'll make it affordable and sure. easy, easy transactions for people. And that's how we kicked off this whole neighborhood was just trying to make relate to the people who we wanted to be here and how, how do we make it easy for them to succeed and support that? So that's how the project started. We went from having four tenants to 10 tenants to 20 tenants. And today the Mastercraft building has about 60 some tenants in it. So Bob also owned a building next door to the Mastercraft. It's a 200,000 square foot warehouse called the Ashton Building. It was built in the 1880s, started in the 1880s, finished in the early 1900s. So it's a really beautiful old Gorgeous building. building. Oh man, it's so killer. 
so Bob wanted to sell that. He had, he used it as a warehouse for his own business, uh, electronic surplus parts. So you would walk through it and it was filled to the ceiling. It was unbelievable. Fair amount of cleaning you had to do then. <laughs> yeah, I think he pulled 400 truckloads wow. of items out of that building that he moved to his other warehouse. It was an unbelievable effort to get him moved. So that building, most old warehouses in Omaha, when they've been sold in the past, they've been converted to apartments, some condos. We thought uh, the B.B. Runyon building downtown was a good model, is similar in size, could pose some similar challenges. As we approached the development community in Omaha, none of them saw a project there. Definitely not a condo project financing. It's hard. Da, 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 da. Apartment developers in, it, in town looked at it and said, it just doesn't model right. So I went to a friend of mine. She owns a company called Field Day Development, which coincidentally is also now in the Mastercraft building. Um, I, once I get my hands on you, I just suck you into the Miller <laughs> Commons to lease space apparently. But um, so Andrea and I worked together. Uh, Andrea Cavill owns Field Day Development. Andrea and I worked together to figure out how to make that building viable for something cool for the future. Because, I mean, how long had it been abandoned for yeah, truthfully, it actually had been in continuous occupancy since the 1880s. So someone had always okay. been in the space, which is unusual for an old brick warehouse of that age. You know, usually there's a long period of, of vacancy and the buildings deteriorate. So Bob stayed operating in it until we could get it sold. But the market time, it had been on market for a couple of years at this point, you know, getting kind of with some buyers, they would come up real serious. They would model out how to make it to apartments or um, a few other projects came up, but most of them were apartments and they just kept saying, we can't make it work. We can't make it work. So Andrea from Field Day, she and I sat down and just kind of did the math on like, well, why doesn't it work for them? Okay. We see, we see our own model, why it doesn't work. What does work then? That's where we had the idea to convert it to an office building. And so we started running numbers on that, having, you know, some retail on the main floor and office on the top three floors. And sure enough, it, it made sense as a project that way. So we went out and took it to some of our friends in Omaha who were investing in real estate and they looked at it and said, yeah, this is cool, but we need, it's a big project, Ryan. We need someone to kick this off. And by the way, as we look at it, investing in that one building is a great endeavor, but then we have a 35, $40 million plus building, you know, sitting kind of still alone. Mastercraft's there, but there's nothing tying them together. So, as time went on, we talked to Flywheel, who is now the anchor tenant in the Ashton building. They rent the top floor and a half. We talked to them about this vision and dream of if they lease space there, we would build this whole neighborhood that's now known as Miller Commons. So we started going after um, you know other parcels that might have been for sale in the neighborhood or then talking to people who had property that wasn't for sale and saying, hey, this is our dream and vision. It's a 55-acre project. We see building a a full neighborhood here, adding housing, adding all the layers, park spaces. This became the vision of Paul and Annette Smith. Um, Paul Smith's uh, from Omaha, Annette's from Ashland. So they're local, local people. They were really the ones who took that whole big leap forward on this project of saying, okay, we could buy one building, but let's really make a true neighborhood. And if you, you take it a little further in analyzing it, we did a project that, you know, 
I don't know, this is kind of an unspoken thing, but Cumming Street has been a long time downtown, kind of a invisible line of development. There's been projects on the other side of it, but nothing, in, at least in the downtown area of substance. You have stuff happening in North Omaha, you know, efforts being made, but nothing, you know, closer to coming, closer to downtown. There was just kind of this weird zone. So it was a, a big thing to get someone to see that this industrial area could be a blend of industrial, adding housing, adding office, you know, building jobs. A true community yeah. area. Yep, absolutely. So it was probably a good two years at least of work putting all of that vision together and getting up to the day where we were able to, you know, close on most of this real estate and get flywheels lease signed and then hit go on what will probably be the next 10 years of this neighborhood of getting it all built up and adding those different layers. So right now there's an apartment building being built right next door to the Mastercraft building called the Hello Apartments. Uh, Bluestone Development's doing that project. I think there's 170 units in it. And one thing I really love about this project is we wanted to add all sorts of layers of housing. And they said our goal is to add in pretty affordable rents into that building. So um, we're starting the rents at 900 a month, which if you look at new construction apartment buildings. Extremely competitive. Yeah, for, yeah. yeah, really competitive. So um, it's been really cool to see them set a value system and then be able to honor it through. It's been an incredible project and I can't wait to see its continued impact on downtown Omaha, North Omaha. We're kind of an in-between zone. So I think it's a really important thing for our city and community for us to to do it right and listen to the voices around us, but also lead the project with good vision and, you know, taking the steps we think are right in tune with our neighbors, I suppose. Well, and I don't think it's by accident that there's a lot of community or neighborhood projects that have happened and are happening in Omaha and other larger cities. I mean, look at the Blackstone District, you look at some of the other areas kind of in the downtown region where they're trying to build up a community. So I think it's it's an exciting time. It's an exciting project. And for our listeners who are curious, the area that we're talking about is about two blocks north of Cumming Street on 13th Street. And so right now it's the Mastercraft building, which has been in place. Not a lot is changing with that right now. The Ashton building, it's a brick building, warehouse building that's been converted into mixed use. And then, as Ryan just mentioned, there is an apartment building called, what is it called? Hello uh, Apartments. Hello Apartments, yep. It's being built right now. So a lot of exciting things happening yeah. In, yeah. in the commons. Yeah. yeah, we should acknowledge like the Hot Shops Art Center has been here for a really long time before Mastercraft, you know, kicked off. I forget the number of studios, but I think it's maybe 75 studios in that building. I mean, it's, uh, you know, a, a great art center and a great neighbor for us. So we want those kinds of things. Um, they recently announced they've become a nonprofit. So I think some people just assume they were a nonprofit, but they have not always been. And that's so important because what would happen is we do our development, their building value would go up and their real estate taxes would increase just due to proximity. So our fear was always, gosh, could we drive them out of the neighborhood by doing our project? Our project's important, so we need to do it, but how do we keep them as a neighbor? So that was a cool Being path. a good neighbor, <laughs> yeah. being a considerate neighbor. Yeah, that, they were important. They're really important to keep in the neighborhood. Like, um, you know, having a good, strong cultural and arts influence in the area has is really key to our team. So if we'd driven out a whole group of artists, we would have we have failed in our first couple of years. So we're, we're really happy to see that they've done that. And then we've got another 
historic block of buildings next to the Ashton. It's called the Disbro block. So it's a full city block of um, different heights and types of brick warehouse buildings. That'll probably be the next project that kicks off in the neighborhood. Outside of Millwork Commons, are there any upcoming projects that you're particularly excited about for PJ, Morgan? Yeah, you know, this is probably not a new one per se, but I'm excited to see where it goes. So Little Bohemia on South 13th Street has been a project we've been involved with for um, since 2016. In terms of um, the real estate in the neighborhood, we got involved with the neighborhood probably in 2014, getting to know people in the community. We would go to the homeowner association meetings and just get to know people like what did they want? We were really passionate about that neighborhood having potential, but we didn't want to just stamp it with our potential. We wanted to know what people wanted. So in 2014, 15, we started attending homeowner association meetings, uh, neighborhood meetings, talking to business owners, figuring out like what's happening here and what do you want to see happen? So in 2016, we bought some real estate in that neighborhood and converted it. So if you drive down the street today, the old Bohemian Cafe is a project we worked on that has Surly Chap and Fizzies and Infusion has a tap room that really tributes, you know, a lot of history to the- It's um, a beautiful space. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's super cool. They did a, a lot of nice tributes to the, um, not just the Czech culture that's there, but the Bohemian Cafe that used to be there. So so we, we worked on that project and I think our- the buildings that we we owned or worked on directly, we ended up renting out about, oh, I don't know, 13, 15 spaces. And then last year at the end of the year, so December of 19, before the pandemic was even a thought, we did a count of new businesses that had come to the neighborhood since 2017. And we were over 20 businesses in our count, which we were really proud to see that happen you know, it seems like a long time, 2016, 17 to 2020, but to do that kind of project in that large of a neighborhood, it's really not. But so we were really excited. Um, 2020 has thrown us a few <laughs> curveballs for sure, particularly with operating real estate and people who had just opened brand new businesses. The Fizzy's restaurant on 13th Street opened, I think on March 5th or 6th, something like that. So they were open for a good week. Um, but to see the support come back to that neighborhood already and the excitement still bubbling, I'm really excited to see what happens down there. There's potential for people to buy homes in that neighborhood at a number that I think is still affordable. Other neighborhoods have, you know, I hear from clients, I want to buy my first house, but it's not attainable in some of the neighborhoods I'm looking at. And that, I think there are opportunities there. There's also opportunities where like back in the day, people would build their house and then in the backyard, they would build a mother-in-law cottage is what they're referred to. The front door comes off of an alley. They might be 700 to 900 square feet and are an affordable housing option because you can yeah. either rent that at an affordable number. Um, the city has said they'll allow people to um, apply to build more of those on lots. So it's typically not allowed to do two houses on one lot, but I think there's a lot of potential for that. There's there's all sorts of exciting things to come in that neighborhood. I think it would be pretty pretty cool to see. I mean, you've seen all these projects, you know, from all phases from the beating to the growth and gets pretty cool. And it would be pretty cool for you, you know, to see it all come to life, come to fruition uh, and be like, you know, I, Hey, you helped, you help neighborhoods, you help the downtown area. It's, it's really amazing work that you do. So thank you for that. 
outside of work, enough business. <laughs> what are some hobbies and things that you like to do for fun? Oh gosh. Uh, well, there is a lot of work, but it's super fun. So <laughs> <laughs> some days are rougher than others. But, um, um, I started playing tennis in high school. Actually, I didn't play for central. I, I, I don't think I was probably good enough, truthfully, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I still play today. I play with a group of friends and we have, um, kind of a roughly formed league and, and do that. That that's a, a good time. I really like working around my own house, uh, working in the yard, cooking, it's been a thing that's evolved over time. It used to be purely function, just get it cooked and eat. And now I love cooking. During this pandemic, it has heightened. I mean, every, I think everybody is like, well, I'll bake bread. But then oh, I've yeah. pushed myself to do things I've never done with cooking before, too. So I love it even more. I've gotten even What's your favorite dish or thing to make? Oh, my gosh. It's... I like to eat everything, so <laughs> making everything. Uh, I just made some short ribs this last weekend that were about the best ones I've ever made. They're not the hardest thing to make, but you can screw them up too. So they were pretty good. I'm not a very good baker. Like I, cooking okay. and baking are different things to me, but I'm trying to, to push myself to do a little bit of that. At the end of the day, do you go home and you're like, do you like to watch HGTV? Do you like to watch any of those like home <laughs> remodel shows? You're like, I deal with enough of that at work. I don't want to deal with this. Like, what is that like? Yeah, that's that's an that's an awesome question because we do get asked that from time to time. I don't watch them because they're they can be frustrating. Uh, it's a little too like to the to the punch, and it's like, well, you know, behind the scenes, behind the curtain, you know, it's a lot harder than that. Ironically, HGTV. They'll come to Omaha from time to time. I've been on a couple of their shows that are no longer on. Hope it wasn't my fault. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I think they cycle through those though by design. But um, yeah, I've been on a few of them. They're interesting to see behind the scenes on the production. But watching them is more a little anxiety. It's like, that's not really what it is, you know? And if you buy a house, you're like, oh yeah, the process is totally different um, than that. There are some... I think more design focused shows out there and they kind of tell a story a little more. I, Apple TV has a, a home series that I've gotten kind of obsessed with. It's only four of them right now, but I just recently discovered those and got obsessed with them. Pretty cool. Cause they tell the story behind why these people are doing these projects. There's a guy in Sweden who built a house for his son uh, who has autism and his son is more engaged with the world around him when he's in an environment that has plants. So the guy built like a log cabin style house and then put a greenhouse around it. And so it's all Amazing. year long has like flowers and incredible. Uh, yeah. And then, so that inspires me like, okay, again, you're telling me not to talk about work, but I like watch it. I'm like, this is so exciting. I love it. <laughs> and then I'm like, how can we do a cool project like that? So, oh, yeah. you know, it just carries over. I can't stop. <laughs> so we always like to end with my favorite question, which is, what is your favorite central memory? Oh, boy. I don't know if there's one, one solid thing that sticks out as a favorite memory. I think just the overall experience there, like, is my favorite. It just was incredible. Like, I, it was such a gift to get to go to school there. Oh, I just thought of a good memory. So I used to be crazy, crazy obsessive about school and like getting there and being there and being present. So I remember, I think our senior year towards the end of the year, they pulled like a group of four of us from our class and maybe six of us, I don't know. 
and gave us like this recognition for perfect attendance through all of high school. Like none of us had missed a day, wow. which I don't know how I did it. No sick days. No nothing? sick days. You never got sick or you went to I school. I just went to school, went to school, just powered through. So, um, Recently, I was doing something in my house, working on a project, moving some stuff and found like the stuff they gave us that day for recognition. It was pretty funny. I remember, I'm pretty sure, hope I'm not calling her out and she wasn't one of them, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure Sarah Deacon was one of the people with me. And Sarah, you know, when you sit alphabetically by people, D, E, Sarah and I, I sat by stuff. each other a lot. So apparently we sat by each other almost every day for the whole high school experience. So that was kind of a, a funny memory. Because they did it before the end of the year. And then I think I missed a day after that, <laughs> which whatever, I got the award before that. Very funny. <laughs> Very funny. And I'm sure, were you part of Purple Feather Day yeah, Roadshow, yeah. any of those? Yeah, I didn't do the Roadshow, but Purple Feather Day, I remember that. And when you graduated, was it the Civic Auditorium? Yeah. Yep, it was. It's funny, you go and you feel like Central's a uh, very small experience in some ways, but it's such a huge school. And then you get there for graduation and you're like, what a, there's so many people, it's wild. 500 kids in my class yeah. and yeah. Yeah. Well, Ryan, this was absolutely fantastic. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I love being here. It was really fun to do. Once again, I want to extend a big thank you to today's guest, 1997 alumnus Ryan Ellis. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed today's episode, episode four of Eagle Tales. We would love to hear what you thought about this episode by emailing us at connect at chsfomaha.org or by tweeting us at chsfomaha. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching for the Central High School Foundation. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you can be notified of when new episodes are published. A complete library of previous episodes can also be found on our website. And once again, that's chsfomaha.org. And remember, near or far, you are part of the Central High School family. Go Eagles! <laughs>